use my axe. I'm hungry! episode of Get to Work Hurley. It is Get to Work Hurley, home for the holidays. That is right, my friends. This is a special treat brought to you by those of you who are the generous backers of this podcast and all of the uh, crazy uh, creative work that I do over on Patreon. So uh, (laughs) despite Patreon's fuck up this month, Happy holidays! You know, here's our holiday Patreon fuck-up, right? Um, y'all stuck with me, so thank you. Thanks for making your voice heard and sticking with me as we both protested their shitty fee increase. So, in fact, let, let's start with that win, my friends. Because this is a special holiday happy episode. <laughs> so let's discuss a win. So Patreon tried to solve, they had a, this perceived problem of varying credit card fees I guess so they tried to alter its fee structure um, by passing on those fees directly to patrons instead of taking them out of the one dollar five dollar pledge like you know like skimming that off the top before we the creators receive it so say I would only get like 65 cents of every dollar that was pledged because five percent goes to patreon and 10 I guess it's more than that I get more than that but then, like, time, you know, then, then there'd be the processing fee, which is, would go to um, the credit card companies and all that shit, right? So, uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't get exactly a dollar. Like, no shit, Sherlock. I would get 85 cents or 80 cents or whatever the fuck. So, uh, so instead, what they were like, hey, instead, we'll charge the patrons. So, now when you would go to Patreon and you would chart, you would be like, I'm pledging a dollar to support this creator, then they would charge you a dollar forty, and I'm like, "Go fuck yourself!" Like, that's a forty percent increase. <laughs> so, it was ill thought out. It made a lot of patrons and creators angry. Again, if I'm f- a dollar is a dollar, it's not fucking one forty. Creators understand that as much as patrons, right? Like, uh, many of you know, you all have limited budgets. I have a limited budget for budget for Patreon. I I budget ten dollars every month. I was gonna have to stop supporting three creators because uh, to fit my budget right so anyway it was bullshit uh patrons and creators all rose up and they told them so and they deleted a bunch of pledges Uh, you know as rough as that might have been that was great because holy shit it free you know they lost patreon was losing money and they saw uh that they were losing money and it was amazing it was great so people delete pledges so it was awful necessary and on the upside patreon actually backed the fuck down after about a week of this it was a week it was so weak, friends. I really, uh, to be dead honest, I didn't think they would. I mean, I've learned to get used to disappointment this year, right? <laughs> but it was a good win, at least until the next bullshit thing, right? They're a big corporation, so anyway, bullshit. I think I think there should be take a drink every time I say bullshit. I'm gonna take a drink. Okay, here we go. Mm. So this was another one of those reminders that as writers. It's difficult to rely heavily on a single income stream like Patreon or a single publisher or even a day job, right? Day jobs uh, are, are crazy right now. I've been laid off from all sorts of day jobs in my brief uh, time. In I shouldn't say brief. What have I been doing marketing for 15 years? I've been laid off quite a bit. Uh, frankly, in this day and age, there's you can't even you can't rely on, you know, the loyalty of a of an organization either people are always like oh millennials you can't you can't trust their loyalty i'm like no shit sherlock they can't trust yours why should they stay with you why shouldn't they leave every two years i was gonna lay them off anyway so there's a reason so many of us are hustling and it's it's because most organizations now are completely fueled by short-term profit gains now as a writer i can't be fueled in quite that way. I mean, some maybe can. 
but my work by its very nature tends to take a longer time to create at least for novels a novel takes probably about a year it depends on the novel obviously but for me a year and, and there's a lot of thinking before it so it's sometimes two years it's yeah, honestly i start thinking about books somebody's two three years out the physical writing of the book takes a year then for edits and publishing it's another i mean you're looking at a five-year process honestly with some of these so I have to take the longer view and I have to consider my career on a much longer timeline than a lot of these big tech companies do and publishers now as well. The publishers, because publishers are owned by big conglomerates. Simon & Schuster is owned by CBS. <laughs> it's always, I always get my, my email from my, my publisher at Simon & Schuster, Saga Press, and his thing is like at, it's like simonschuster.cbs.com or some shit like that. I'm always like, it's creepy. So everyone wants a one-hit wonder. That's what everyone wants. And that's, I don't want to say it's increasingly less likely, because it's not. Because there have been some really good packagers. There are some, especially music. Music people have been very good at, at packaging. And um, they're doing it quite a bit in novels as well to less, they're not as good at it, though. Uh, for some reason... Well, and I shouldn't say they're not as good as it because who knows all the music people we never hear from who they package up and, and don't do it. Anyway, I take the long view. I sure do. Okay, so now since this is our special home for the holidays episode, I already told you, but I'm drinking some liquor and ruminating about the year here with all of you. And the dogs are all here. They're curled up just outside the door because I had to kick them out. And I'm going to take another drink. Did I mention I have liquor? Mm-hmm. So as I'm sitting here with you during this, this, the literal darkest time, <laughs> what is it, the 19th? Yes, it's the 19th, so like the 22nd is the, the official, you know, the least amount, or the 21st or 22nd, I'm not going to fucking Google it right now, is the darkest time of the year. And so sitting here, the little darkest time of the year, of a rather dark year, I want to congratulate you personally I want to congratulate you because if you can hear this you are still alive you have survived for the most part 2017 I don't know when y'all listen to this before the holiday hopefully but you have survived so far you only have a few days left so congratulations to you congrats to you congrats to me we're alive all right now if you're like me, some days that probably doesn't feel like a win, being alive. I totally get that. Especially during this, the darkest time of the darkest timeline. Now, if you're like me, some days that may not feel like a win, but it is. It truly is. Because here is the thing, all right? And, and I tell myself this all the time. Uh, it's it's no surprise. I, you know, my whole family has anxiety and and depression and all these problems. We have a lot of problems, right? Every, we all have problems. My neighbor the other day, anyway, I, I'll tell that story another time. But basically it was just, we all have, we all have mental health issues. Oh, tell me about your issues. Um, obviously many more extreme than others. Um, but I just want to remind people right now, you know, if you are not here, um, you don't know what comes after this. And if you don't survive this, well, then this is it. This darkest time during the darkest year <laughs> is it. You die and then this is as good as it gets. And who the fuck wants that? Uh, I, I don't, certainly. So, but as long as you're still here, like, come on. Like, there's hope, my friends. Hope! Which reminds me of Star Wars. That's what we fucking need in this timeline. I did see the Star Wars movie, uh, The Last Jedi, and I'm not I'm not going to spoil I'm not going to actually talk about the film. I'm just going to talk about the theme for a minute because it got me to think a lot about loss and failure, and those of you who have seen the film will understand why, and also hope and failure and what we what we need to keep in mind sort of as we as we all go forward uh, into the new year. So I personally have failed at a lot of things this year. 
I failed to turn in a book due to my publisher, Broken Heavens, the third in a trilogy. I failed to drink and eat in moderation. Ha ha ha. Listen, this is one drink, people, okay? It's one drink. It's my home for the holidays with Hurley drink. But anyway, I did fail at that. I failed to be financially clever or frugal or sound. Financially sound. And uh, we did take a lot of trips this year, and they were all work and family related. And I knew, I knew when I got to December that that shit was going to be real uncomfortable financially. And it is, and it sucks. It just sucks. Uh, I'm sweating over this this next book this due. Uh, my editor actually just checked in. So is that book going to be ready the first week of February? I was like, ah, yeah, Joe, it's great. It's fine. Don't listen to my podcast. It's fine. We're all fine. Uh, but yes, Joe. Joe, I know you're listening to this, Joe. It is fine. I'll get it done and it's fine. You know, I don't, I don't, it's not even that I, uh, it's due and I'm sweating over it, not only because obviously I don't want to be late with it again, but also because I would like to have the money. I got taxes coming up. Shit's got to get done. Like real shit. Uh, this is, it's no joke. And I failed to turn in several stories. I promised two anthologies. I promised a lot of shit to people this year and I reneged on it. And that is I failed to blog regularly. I failed to turn off Twitter. <laughs> I failed, in fact, at having a clean, well-maintained home. <laughs> so, and I, I failed at being better this year in a million ways, right? A million ways. And if I were just to sit here and list all of my failures this year, I could go on and on and on because, you know, we always remember all the negative shit. So I'm not going to get into, I'm not even going to touch the failures in the overall fucking world or my country or my neighbors because that shit, that shit's ultra depressing. But in thinking about failures here, sort of the end of the year, especially in the context of Star Wars, I have to ask myself when I start on this tirade, right? Oh, I failed at everything. I, I got shit done. Uh, I did write 12 short stories this year. What the fuck? Like, I, I held down a day job. Uh, I got, I have great dogs. Um, my house was not repossessed or anything. You know, I have a roof over my head. So I, I have managed to hold my life together, right? And I could go on and on about the things that I did do, but all of these failures, I feel them like this heavy weight. And, and it's this heavy weight, especially on this depressing timeline. Uh, and so I'm asking myself, what comes after this? Like, how do you live with these failures uh, these failures which to me like the not turning in a book on it wasn't even on time it's just it's so late it's you know part of the problem i become you know one of those authors who takes two years to turn something in i hate that uh when i tell someone something i'm gonna have something ready and it's due and i've got it i want to be trustworthy and again as a working writer literally as a working writer you have to be able to have that kind of reputation. Hey, I know when I give Cameron something, she turns in quality work and she turns it in on time. You don't want to get a reputation for not turning in work on time or turning in shit. No one wants that. So how do you live with this failure? And how do you carry on, right? When all you kind of want to do is hide from the world for, for many different reasons for all sorts. And I know many of us for different reasons want to do that. Not turning in that book when I kept saying I would. It was like two weeks, two more weeks. It was Everything was two weeks. It was awful. And now I've got this other one due in February, and I'm shaking my boots over it. And I keep thinking, like, over and over, like, it literally sticks in your head. Like, I'm a failure. I'm bad at this. Maybe I've lost it, right? Maybe I'm not going to get better. One of the worst things about failure is that it makes you question. Now, this was interesting. It makes you question who you really are. Like... You have this idea in your head about what kind of person you are and what you can achieve. And I consider myself a fairly fast, clever, you know, responsible writer who can be counted on. That's my, literally how I see myself in my head. And yet, I failed a lot of editors and my agent and my fans this year, right? And that sucked. I had to come to terms with the fact that maybe I wasn't that writer anymore. Or at least not this year for sure. <laughs> but... If I'm not that, that story of myself, I talk a lot about these stories we, we have of ourselves, then what am I? And that's hard because I don't know. Writing is not only a very personal thing for me, it's personal for many of us I know, 
but it makes up such a core piece of my personal story of who I am that I feel cast adrift when that story doesn't seem to play out very well. Somebody asked on, on Twitter how writers can avoid burnout and you know I can tell you sitting here drinking a whiskey at the end of a long day job day I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew because I think that this certainly this feeling right of this year is part of what it feels like. You churn and you churn. I churned real hard for two three years and you know it's coming. I knew it was coming as I was churning especially Geek Feminist Revolution sneaking that between some book really I was tired and it was emotionally I was even so much of myself emotionally and I think we we failed to think about the emotional uh toll of a lot of the creative work that we do there's a less of emotional toll in the stuff that I'm doing for my day job there's no, not as much of me in it in a way that there is like something with the stars or legion or key feminist revolution where there is so much of myself and I'm literally like it feels like you're literally cutting yourself and bleeding onto the page I do think you can, only, again, you can only bleed so long before you're like, man, I got to take a break. And so, you know, I was turning and turning, and then one day it was just there. One day, you know, I just found that every time I would open a manuscript, I would just get angry or filled with dread, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. It was just like the visceral thing, like, fuck you, I don't want to do this anymore. And again, not that I don't want to do any writing at all. It was just I don't want to work on this thing. And I'd known for a while that I was headed to that place. In fact, I, as I said, I, I was talking with another writer two years back, and she said she'd seen a few other writers with this sort of panicked look that I had. <laughs> sort of the eyes glazed look. Uh, and they'd all come to a crossroads at a certain point. They pretty much had to realize that they would need to drop something, right? They needed to quit their day jobs or quit writing or make some other big life change, right? So something, something in their life had to go. And you know, when she said that, it was true. I mean, I, I under I knew the truth of it. I felt the truth of it in my bones. But I, I couldn't quit my day job. I need health insurance. I couldn't quit the writing because shit, you know, again, that's my story myself. That's what I enjoy. It's what I was doing since I was 12. That was it. I, I, I looked at these choices. I felt like these are the only choices I had. Quit my day job or quit writing. And I, I couldn't do any of them. And, and I, I thought about going part-time for a while at my day job. The place I was at at the time said, sorry, you know, we don't give health insurance to part-time employees so that wasn't even really again it, it wasn't an option that would have been probably the best like third option but I just at the time couldn't swing it you know when you can't do one or the other that sort of that sort of leaves you with one last option <laughs> which is the burnout right when you push hard and you give everything stars or legion greek feminist revolution was everything I had at the time that was everything. And when I had given it all, I was done. And it's, it's really hard to give everything and to realize you're still not, like, wealthy. <laughs> you're still not financially independent. It's like you go, here's everything I am. And they're like, thanks. Bye. And the books, you know, they, they performed well and they're fine. But it's not like, you know, li they, they were not life-changing as far as uh, capitalism is concerned. Burnout's going to come for you if you if you can't let something else go it's just something that happens I, I feel to especially in this hustle culture where we're hustling all the time I think eventually you're going to burn out your health is going to suffer I see that happen to other writers all the time their health really suffers that was actually something I concentrated a lot on this year too was I basically had a nervous breakdown when I turned I turned in Geek Feminist Revolution and then immediately like a couple months later Empire Ascendant I think came out and then I had to go immediately into promo for that and that was when I went and showed my doctor and I said I literally am having panic attacks I I can't sleep I can't get on planes I it's hard to travel I'm thinking constantly I'm full of this anxiety that is making it impossible for me to actually function in society it had, it had reached that point and and she helped me out and you know we we found some solutions but like literally that was everything so obviously there was going to come a point in my life where I needed to take some time off and, and not off, but I needed to dial it back and be like, what the fuck are you doing? And focus on my health uh, and my welfare. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the writer dead in a ditch somewhere. You know? So the real question then becomes, how do you find out who you are again? 
after you failed, when you failed at something for me that was on such a when you failed to turn in a book, failed to make progress, when you've disappointed professionals, the, the professionals in your industry who make decisions on which writers to give chances to and which ones not to, how do you literally get out of bed during this, the darkest time of year, during one of the darkest years in our country's recent history, at least, and get up to bat again? That, that to me is the question. That's, that's the big question. Not how to avoid burnout because, again, you got to give something up. I mean, it is. That's just what you got to do. You have to give something. And if you can't, you're going to burn out. And you will literally just wake up one day and it'll happen. It will have happened. You'll know it's coming. And you'll just wake up one day and be like, fuck. But something I discovered recently when I was looking back over my life here, because I'm, I'm creeping into middle age. I'm 37. Creeping. I'm creeping up on it. I have a chronic illness, so, you know, if I can get 30 more years, that'd be great. As I creep into middle age, I discovered that I've, I've, I've gotten, I don't want to say I'm complacent with where I am in life, but I've gotten, I, I'm at homeostasis, I want to say. I, I feel like, again, it's like, it's the fight club thing where you work all day to buy more stuff you don't need so you can keep working and keep buying things you don't need. Uh, and, and I had gotten this, I reached through this homeostasis with this life and the things, and the things I achieved so far. And I told myself, you know, I'm doing this because it's the logical thing to do. Staying here in Ohio, everything is super cheap here. It makes sense as, you know, the breadwinner, as freaking out about health insurance costs all the time. Uh, and I kept getting great copywriting jobs here. I bought a house here. My spouse has friends here. We've established a life here. Uh, but the truth is, yeah, I, I've never loved it here. And I've learned to really like aspects of it. But it's never spoken to my heart. Never. I always felt it was a waypoint on the road to somewhere else. And I got old. <laughs> I got tired. And I stopped working out. And I stopped. I did stop hating myself. Uh, I think there's, there was this hate for myself that drove me to run and run and run. Because I was running away from myself. And so there were, some, there were some things that I dealt with that were important uh, for me and, and I and I think for these you know I took these last 10 years to sort of work on that and make myself sort of this this better person who was not a complete piece of shit um, and once I had I'd made a lot of changes I stopped working so relentlessly to change in some ways other ways obviously I've, I've, I've kept going trying to be better and smarter and all those things and here I keep sitting sort of year after year and now like I look up and I'm like oh shit it's 2017 that means it's been 10 years since I moved to Ohio because I actually ended up here after losing my job in Chicago and I ended a relationship with my roommate my former girlfriend badly and it was either come here to Ohio and live in a friend's spare bedroom or go back home and live with my parents and oh shit you know I'll take Ohio over going back home at 26 any day um 26 27 I guess it was 27 so so I did and to be fair in many 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 ways being here has saved me. I've gotten writing opportunities here that I would not have gotten in bigger cities. I've been able to hone my skills here in a way that, again, I don't think I would have gotten those opportunities in bigger cities. There are simply, again, it's the whole big fish, small pond, um, big pond, small fish, right? And I, I just, I had skills that were needed in this area and I was given the opportunity to hone those skills. So, most importantly, of course, for me, also having good friends here with me during, you know, the crucial first few years of having my chronic illness was literally a lifesaver. I, I you know, I, my entire life changed overnight and I needed, you know, the support uh, of, of good friends. You know, I needed to be here. I, I met my spouse here, right? I bought a house here. I became a novelist here. This was a safe place to do those things and still is to to a large extent it's again because it's very affordable uh because my skills are needed and it's nice to be needed right it's nice to feel safe in those particular ways but these days (laughs) the darkest days of the darkest timeline it's less safe Uh, health insurance is imploding like ohio is one of the ones that doesn't isn't on that health exchanges so you have to go through the government health exchange and all of the options are terrible and they're only local insurance like you they don't have any nationwide plans it's awful and already with an employer i'm paying 
you know, if you include my premiums and this outrageous deductible we have, you know, I'm paying something like almost $2,000 a month in premiums and health insurance costs because my drugs are super expensive. And that is with an employer plan. That's with actual real quote unquote health insurance. And it's going to go up again next year if this tax thing goes through, which probably will. But it's going to go up at least another 10%. And that's 10% on top of the usual yearly, you know, bump. So we're looking at another 20% next year. I'm done. Like, what am I getting from America in this deal? <laughs> what am I getting? I'm paying out the ass for shit that, like, it's not that expensive. Literally the same drugs that I pay $500 a month here for are $65 in Canada. And I'm just like, there's no, and the drug companies are still making a profit in Canada. So don't tell me that this is how much this shit costs. It's not. What am I getting from America? I'm pay. I am literally, I'm in Ohio again. I'm paying for my own streetlights. Literally the streetlights in front of my house were taxed per streetlight tax. It's a payment. So literally you're taxing them the streetlights. Like that's not how community works to me. How is that government, right? That's not how community works. We're all supposed to you put it in a pot. We all take care of each other. So we all have equal access. We all have equal social services, right? That's not America, as we've learned, sadly. A lot of people already knew it. So, yeah. So I've, I've been having a lot of thoughts this particular year. And I, again, being in, in middle age and, and sort of coming to this crossroads, it's like I feel like I need a new mountain to climb or... I will just sort of get stagnant with what I have achieved and I'll just like be writing the same book over and over and expecting the same results over and over and I don't want that. I want to stretch myself. I want to be challenged in a way that I maybe haven't been recently. Uh, I need a new mountain. I kind of need this like a new hope. (laughs) Don't we all? But to get there takes taking risks and taking risks is scary. But, it, but it's like this in life. And I believe in our writing, too. If we want to avoid burnout, let's bring it home. Let's bring it all back. We have to be willing to take risks again. Uh, and that's in our lives, our personal lives, and that is also in our writing. We have to remember what it was we loved about life and about writing. And it's not about being on a treadmill, you know, churning out the work or, you know, God, my house isn't clean. Right? It, there's there's a lot of churn that happens that makes us burn out that I think we forget. Uh, like our, our brains like to go to sleep when they get a pattern that they see over and over and over again. And I want, I feel like I need to wake my brain up and remind it of how cool life can be. I want to write weird pulpy novels without any expectations. I want to live in the deep woods far away from all humans except my spouse. Right now, I actually live a, about a mile from downtown Dayton. And we had good reason for that. We all, you know, we struggled a lot, you know, when we first got together. We only had one car, and it was a, it was a junker. And my job was downtown. But things have changed for us in, in many good ways. And, you know, and the older I get, the more I realize there are compromises that I don't want to make anymore. I don't want to live in the city, the train and the noise and the neighbors. I want wide open places. I want lots of animals, like I want a whole farmyard of them. I want to live somewhere where I can breathe and just write without distractions. Much of my own burnout, I feel, has come because of those distractions too. So there are so many distractions now for people who want to do creative work. You've got social media, which is the real mind killer. Social media, the mind killer. You have a million different streaming channels. There's and then and there's still the the regular DVDs and mobile games. My God, our fucking phones. More books and content pieces than you will ever read. Screaming people on TV, and then you have just the shit that's going on outside your window. You've got you know the protests and the the neighbors and the solicitors and maelstroms and an imploding government and all this shit. We got all this shit going on, and it's all super distracting. And all of these things, as much as I would like to be a better person and live in harmony with them, they do take away from my work and from what drives me and from the satisfaction of my work because I'm, I've gotten more distractible, I feel, in, in, as I get older. And just, I think, because I'm engaging with this technology. And they've done studies where, yeah, your attention span does short circuit when you start using social media a lot, getting on and offline all the time. So it, it is a known thing. 
that it does impact you. It does super affect you. I really feel pushed and pulled and prodded in every direction at once. I have so many voices in my head now and like these expectations from fans and from editors, from my agent, even from my colleagues. And you start to feel what Elizabeth Baer calls the authorial construct, which is like this sort of fake being that everyone creates, this idea of you that people have in their head. It's always interesting to get to know other writers who, because obviously I do that. And I'll have this idea of who they are in my head, and then I get to know them more and more, and, and you realize, wow, again, it's, it's, uh, it's like the viral short story Cat Person, which did a really excellent job of showing that exact thing of we have this idea in our head of who someone is, and then we're like, oh, shit, who the fuck is it? I'm just walking in this house with a stranger. I know nothing about this person. And it also, you know, it's also something Steven Erickson, uh, the author, said, and he said there's this idea that reality is this thing that we're all collectively building all the time so he says think about reality as sitting at the center of a circle of people and you have all these people staring inward at this circle constantly kind of describing it or this object this thing that we call reality and they're constantly describing it they're kind of changing their minds they're agreeing they're disagreeing until they come to a consensus about what that is and then they keep going right they have to keep going continually reaffirming what it is and that's how we get reality it's this literally constructed thing at the center of all of our perceptions, which is why there's such a, when you silo, <laughs> when you silo different groups of people and their different versions of reality, it's how you get different versions of reality is because you're, we're not all sitting in a room seeing and, and commenting on the same reality. We've literally constructed different realities. And that's how our current shenanigans are happening, unfortunately. But I, I love that analogy that Steven Erickson used because I think it's very apt. It's very true of my experiences as far as noting how reality is is talked about and constructed by others if you're not careful as a public person i think it can be easy to become or believe you've become what people perceive you to be so remember what i said about failing as a writer changed how i viewed myself right i know it changed how other people viewed me too oh that's scary would their changing view of me change me? Is this like the, the tree that falls in the wood or Schrodinger's cat? And I, I find that to be very interesting. It's one of the reasons, again, I did not go home when given the chance to Ohio over going home with my parents because I did believe, you know, your parents see you in a certain way and they always treat you in a certain way and they have certain ideas about you and you can't help but mirror back what their expectations are of you, right? This is why, uh, you know, toxic relationships and stuff are so awful as well is because you start to, there is this, especially people, and I do feel I'm a, I'm very much a mimic. I'm a very good mimic and a mirror. Uh, it's, it's why I'm such a good copywriter in that I can read a piece of writing and I can mimic it fairly well because I, I pick up the uh, ideas and stuff behind it uh, pretty pretty quickly. It's the same with like CEO stuff. And when someone says, I want to do something, I want something that's X, Y, and Z, and says it's not, I can pick it up pretty quickly. That's It's a great skill, great skill for me. But the flip side is, if you're not careful as a public person, I think it can be easy to start thinking you are what they see you as, again, like I just said. But so when you're in the public eye, when people literally cheer and clap when you walk into a room, you start to wonder who exactly they're cheering and clapping for because like it can't be you you know who you are and it's not this person they think you are but you kind of carry on and you go with it <laughs> because they've collectively made that reality why why can't i i make my own i mean in some ways i do and to me that's why i need that alone time and i need that time to myself because i have to not be exposed to those other thoughts and voices and reactions to me it's actually why i prefer not doing like video stuff it's not necessarily because oh it looks so hideous on video it's like no i'm great it has to do with i don't want to see the other person's reactions to myself because i said i if i'm not careful i would self-censor myself a lot of times even when i'm speaking to people i will look over their shoulder or something so that i'm not so i can actually say the things that i want to say that was a trick i had to learn otherwise i totally would i'd censor myself so have i said bullshit when we say bullshit i can take a drink bullshit take a drink but anyway i was talking about burnout right Aha, bring it back. So listen, Charlie Jane Anders was saying something very interesting on Twitter about the ups and downs of one's career and about how we all think progress is this straight line. But it's not. You think you've achieved like this certain skill level, like, oh, I knocked out that novel or oh, this was a complex short story and I really nailed it. And then you think you've got it. But then like you have to do it again 
and again. <laughs> and you either re have to relearn it or you do it differently or it doesn't apply and you realize, oh shit, I'm stuck. There was no real leveling up that happened. And you're sort of stuck in this trough, this real low point in your career or, you know, you sort of dither around and, you know, usually, I mean, she said, she said this too. She's like, usually, you know, you hit a breakthrough and there's an immediate low point after that. You're like, oh fuck, how do I redo that? How do, can I, blah, blah, blah. And there, I felt that too, right? Uh, Geek Feminist came out, Stars of Legion came out really well. And it was like, after, immediately after that, it was just like, then I just, I sank to a huge, hugely low point. I just felt like shit. And it's so funny. But then again, as she said, she's like, but when you bounce back, if you can get out of that trough, you know, a bazil every single time, it's like, you are going to be better. You just have gone like this vital necessary shift. There's like this vital process, this up and down thing that you have to do. But of course, you know, the problem is many people don't bounce back. They hit the trough and they just quit. <laughs> they quit. I, uh, another great anecdote I just saw today on Twitter. Again, notice I need to spend less time on Twitter. But there's great anecdotes. So Neil Patrick Harris, the actor, he shared this wonderful story about something. I think it was like a director or agent told him when he first started out. And it was this. And the guy said, listen, think of your acting career, or let's say creative career, as if you were a surfer. So a surfer has to paddle out there into the waves, and that's tough, right? Getting the fuck out there to where the waves are, is, is that takes some effort. So that's tough, and every time you do it, it's tough. So then he's got to sit out there, and he's got to wait for the right wave, and that takes a long time. It takes a lot of patience. He's got to wait for the right wave. When he finally does catch the wave, you know, he needs to not catch, you know, he has to ride it. He might fall off, like he's got to do his balance right, or he might ride it all the way, the way to the beach and yay, wow, you know, either way, huzzah, at least he caught a wave. But there's lots of different things that go into it. Oh, but here's the truth about being a surfer. Being a surfer is not catching one wave. <laughs> the truth is, once he's back on the beach, if he, surfer goes out, he paddles out there again, fucking, uh, fucking paddle, which is just as hard as the last time. He goes and sits out there again, which is just as boring. He has to be just as patient. And then he's got to wait to ride that next wave and not fall off that wave. And then it, and then he's got to go do that again and again and again. That is like, that's being a surfer. It's such it's such a great metaphor because that, that is totally the process of writing a book or doing any kind of creative work. It's like, if you think about it, you know, like a surfer doesn't ride a wave and then paddle out and ride a wave and paddle out like 24-7. They go out, they ride some waves, and they come back in. They do get some sleep, and they eat something, and maybe they do some cross-training, right? It's not 24-7 waves. Are they any less of a surfer because they take a month off from surfing? You know, come on, like, they have other things to do. But they still get up. They still go out there, and, they, and the process is still difficult every fucking time. And they may be a little faster next time. They may be a little... But, like, you don't see progressive gains a lot of the time. It's like all of a sudden one day, yeah, hey, it was easier to stand up with the zone. And just in the, and then the next time, that doesn't mean the next time you're not going to fall off, right? It doesn't mean it, and it doesn't mean you're a bad or a good server. It's just like that's what surfing is. <laughs> Much of this business, like the business of creativity, is really forgiving yourself for failing to measure up to, like, your own expectations of what the process is supposed to be. And forgiving yourself because that wave you rode wasn't like as big as you'd hoped or because you fell off or because, frankly, because you missed it. I do think if you're patient, if you take the time off and you do, <laughs> to, re, to have me let your muscles, you know, let your, your body recover from a full day of surfing. If you paddle, as long as you're patient and you get back out there and you, you know, eventually you're still a surfer. Like the shit isn't over. Getting over burnout then, you know, for me is, is really about forgiving yourself it's it's reinvesting in yourself and it's remembering what got you here in the first place since this is the holiday edition of get to work hurley holidays at home with hurley i did want to thank everyone for supporting the podcast on patreon and on a paypal we did recently you know speaking of where where some of that uh that kibble money goes we recently added a third dog to our family those dogs eat and poop a lot let me tell you I did have someone ask, you know, we're at the questions portion and I guess we've been doing questions throughout, but I did have someone ask if I'd talk more about the dogs. So if you don't like dogs, too bad. This is get to work Hurley and I talk about dogs. You can check on them on Instagram at any time. Uh, our oldest dog is Snacks. That is her name. S-N-A-X. So we got her when we rented our first house with a fence. 
I love dogs. My spouse loves dogs. We had to wait a while, though, to get a fence. And she actually came from a local rescue. And I suspect, I, you know, she, she's actually a purebred husky. We did have her uh, DNA tested just because people kept saying she's an American Eskimo. And we were like, she's not an American Eskimo. And it turns out she's just a white husky. I can totally see someone getting her from, like, a puppy store and being like, oh, what a cute, beautiful dog. But huskies are a fucking pain in the ass. Have I said bullshit yet? I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to say huskies are bullshit. They're not bullshit. They're just a pain in the ass. She was hyper as hell and a natural hunter. Especially when we first got her. She was a year old when we got her. And she's way too much dog for most people. I can totally see someone going, I'm so sorry. This is way too much dog for me and, and turning her into the rescue. But she amused us. Um, so she's old and grumpy now. She's almost 10. And she's super finicky. She's a finicky eater. And she guards her food and her toys. We have to work on her with that constantly. And she'll run away if given half a chance, which is why we bought her a GPS thing. It's actually, it's called Whistle. If you have not heard of Whistle, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it lets you access this app. Like she, It's just something you clip it to her collar. Again, GPS to her collar. And it lets you access this app and shows you where she is if she runs off, which is super useful because she's always trouble. Anytime she can slip her collar, she can jump out the door, whatever. Um, less so now because, again, she is older, so she's not quite as hyper, but she's still she'll take a run. Uh, she also catches mice like a cat. And, in fact, I've always thought of her as a cat. She has like a cat personality to me. Our other dog then is Indy, and Indiana is a St. Bernard. We picked up actually from Craigslist. He was out on a farm somewhere in Columbus. He was like the last of this his litter. He'd had parvo. They had worked really hard to uh, get him to recover, and it was miraculous, honestly. Dogs with parvo, honestly, they usually euthanize them uh, because it's a horrific sickness, and the treatment to treat them is you have to summon on hand 24-7, but they were on a farm. They had somebody who could help. He recovered, and he was about, he was a little small to me, to my mind. Small. He was only 50 pounds. <laughs> he was about five months old when we got him, and he's a fucking mess. I always, I love big dogs, though. Um, you know, we've had a Great Pyrenees and a Mastiff before him. I think he's something like, he's got to be 130 pounds, 135 pounds now. His dad apparently was 140 pounds, so I would not be surprised if he got that big. And he's just a big drooling baby, and I love him to pieces. He is pretty much my therapy dog it's, this is 2017 how we deal with the darkest time during the dark on the darkest timeline um you know if shit's really awful i just go over and i just give him a big hug and he flops on me and we just hang out i take some big calming breaths pretty much the first thing i do when i come home from the day job is pet indiana and he'll always be my favorite Shh, don't tell the others so then there's pepper and he's our newest dog he is about five months old and we got him from a rescue over in uh indiana and he He's special. I'm going to, I'm going to, he's, he's a shitty puppy in a, sh like, in that he shits a lot, but puppies, puppies do that. So I said that, but anyway, take a drink. And this poor dog is having a tough time with house training. This is actually the hardest we've had to work on any dog with house training. Something I think he was raised inside at a rescue uh, in someone's, in someone's house and she uh, used puppy pads. And I think the puppy pads is really hard to transfer puppy pads to outside like indiana got it immediately he was actually raised outside and they had him in a kennel with a, another dog like a smaller kennel and they opened it up and he had this, this run basically that he ran around outside so he got it right away it was like a couple days uh drake right away snacks about she was young so about a week or two but he we had to reset our you know three days without an accident in the house sign today so it's zero it's been zero days since this last accident and he does this hilarious thing where when he wags his tail, his whole body sort of wags with him. Uh, on Instagram, somebody when somebody commented said, that's not a dog, that's a land otter. And I'm like, yes, he's, he's like an otter. He's some kind of mutt. He's, he's clearly like a lab mix of some kind. He loves to snuggle in the bed with us at night and fart and fart. Yeah, his, his farts are just awful. But he is a huge cuddler. He's just a baby. Uh, he's a sweet pea. We, we would love to call him Snugs instead of Pepper, but... That's too close to snacks. There was a reason for this this diversion, and that is, you know, it is it is the holidays. It is the darkest time of year and the darkest timeline. And I do tend to recommend to anyone who likes animals who's in, like, a wacky profession, especially a creative profession where you're like, I gave you everything. I got back nothing. To get, like, a pet of some kind, like, even a fish that you have to visit, like, feed every day and clean their thing out. Something outside of yourself that you need to care for 
Um, I know it's been a rough year, you know, for me uh, as well. And and there have been days where I only got out of bed because like the dogs needed to go on a walk or needed to be fed. And again, when I'm feeling awful, there is just nothing as calming as as hugging Indiana. He's he's my buddy. And everyone needs a good buddy, like someone who doesn't expect anything from you, who just loves you, who's just basically like this big eating and pooping and snuggling machine. I know, I know. I'm going to end up like having a herd of dogs like in the Canadian wilderness somewhere. It's funny, when I lived in Alaska, I went to school there to undergrad for two years. And I realized when I graduated that I could totally live in Alaska for like the next 80 years. At the time, again, I hadn't gotten sick yet. So I was like, I'll live to my 120. Uh, I could live there for the next 80 years and be happy there. Uh, and I was like, but is that all I want? Like forever and ever, you know, living so far out. I, I knew I wouldn't travel much because it's like in the middle of fucking nowhere and everywhere. Getting anywhere is, takes eight hours. Um, I knew there weren't a lot of job opportunities. I knew I'd be living very lean, which I had always expected. I mean, I knew it was going to be rough because my parents were like, well, being a writer, you'll be poor. Um, but man, I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to live there. But I was, again, I was 21 and like, when you're 21, you know, you're looking out at that and going, hey, this is it. I'm going to live the next 80 years here is like, whew, a long time. And I love what I've done since. You know, it, it was the right decision to go. But, but yeah, like I'm, I'm at this point where, again, I am getting older. And it's like, okay, we've had these great adventures. And I really want to go back to the woods. Uh, you know, the woods, it's a place, you know, where I was happiest. I think we grew up in two acres where I was and, and um you know it's really true Alaska I mean my my you know I grew up in Washington state but it's really true that when I lived in Alaska despite the cold dark winters you know like I was really happy there it was like the happiest time in my life um people forget that during the summer it's warm and sunny almost 24 7 in Alaska it's great <laughs> the summer is great you lose three months during the winter where you're like I'm passed out I'm a zombie but then it's great and again, if I was a full-time writer, I could just be passed out for three months and it wouldn't matter. I loved it there. I also certainly preferred not to be on the corporate wagon machine. Whew. The corporate wagon machine is really stressful. We had a client contract that um, it makes a lot of our, anyway, and they hadn't renewed and hadn't renewed and hadn't renewed. That was rough. Um, these last few months and they finally renewed and I was like yay we have health insurance even shitty health insurance for another year and you know any business right now is really really uncertain so whether you're a writer or again in any business whatsoever everything is super uncertain there is no certainty everyone's super stressed out understandably so maybe someday I can be a full-time writer but um, as I as I finally am realizing I think I'm finally realizing it and it, it has taken darkest timeline uh, to realize it, um, I don't think I can be a full-time writer in America. Um, certainly not, you know, I not not doing the sort of work that I love to do in the capacity I'm doing it without a lot of lucky breaks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I can't earn my way to living as a full-time writer. I would need a lot of lucky breaks, which sort of leads right to our our closing, which is looking ahead to 2018. Like, what can we do? What should we resolve to do as writers? What can we resolve to do? I mean, you can't go and say, you know, oh, write a best-selling book. Like I said, there's luck shit going on. There's only so much you can do. A lot of it's out of your control. You know, for me, I guess I can say I'm going to turn in the Light Brigade on time. I'm going to finish Broken Heavens. That one I, I will finish. I, of the 90,000 words I wrote, like 60,000 of them were pretty good. I'm going to keep turning in Patreon stories. I would like to get the next book started. Ha-ha. I can say all of that. I can resolve all of that. Here's the deal. I need to forgive myself if I don't do it. I basically sat on the beach this year. Let's be real. I sat on the beach this year, my toes in the water, kicking at the waves. It's time to paddle out. In January, we are also starting the process of trying to get permanent residency in Canada, which is, you know, does it save us from fascism? Probably not. I, it's probably going to come everywhere. My hope is they will won't dismantle their health care quite as quickly. You know, that's a, that's a scary thing to do, leaving everything you've built for 10 years and going, oh, shit. It's the best way to ensure, like, to me right now, looking at it from this vantage point. It's the best way to ensure that I have some kind of future. What we're paying health care is we'll never get ahead, right? 
will never have retirement. That's two thousand dollars a month. You can't put a lot into retirement. You can't. You don't put it toward other things. You'll never get ahead. This was the year I got really tired of sitting around, feeling fucking sorry for myself, and of dealing with all this shit by drinking too much or sleeping too much. Like I burned out on that shit too. Like I gave myself, you know, I burned out on my writing, and then I kind of burned out on feeling sorry for myself about the writing. <laughs> so in twenty eighteen. I want to fucking feel like I'm doing something about it. Like I have active agency in my own fucking life. <laughs> I'm not just calling my reps, begging for them not to kill me, but actively trying to either set myself up for a better life or change something. But maybe we get denied and that's fine. Maybe it's too expensive to go. That's fine. But at least in this moment, at this point in time, I feel like I'm doing something to get back, right, to that original dream I had. Of like living in a cabin in the woods, writing books for a living. Like that was literally all I want. I want to have a couple of husky dogs. So I have the dogs. <laughs> I need the woods in the cabin. And the ability to live just writing books. And that's that's going to take a lot of work. No no bullshit. I need to feel like there's hope for a future. And I, I need to face that in 2018. I need to face a lot of my fears, I think, about who I am, who I could be, about the work that I'm doing the work I will have to do. I have this quote up on my computer and it says, fear masks itself as procrastination. And that is so true. Like I literally open up my manuscript now and I just close it again because it like fills me with so much fear and anxiety. I am so afraid of failing. You don't want to fail again. You know, my agent said to me, you know, this book is shit basically. Like you don't want to fail again. It's like you feel you can't take another failure like you're going to die. But the truth is, again go watch star wars we can we can survive failure we can take charge of how we react to the things that are done to us and how we react to our failures and if we get back up again and all those things fall down seven times get up eight like that's the proverb i love that proverb and that is like my mantra that is like 2018 we all fall down we get the fuck back up <laughs> we ride that we paddle out and we ride the wave I hope that you all get up after the holiday with the darkest time on the darkest timeline and you ride that wave as well. I'm not going to lie. This is going to be another really tough year for many of us. All I've got for you is that we are all in this shit together, my friends. We're all in this shit together and we are going to paddle the fuck through. We are going to paddle the fuck into 2018. All right. Happy holidays, folks. Now, get back to work.